Well, please join me now in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're in our series, Thriving in Exile, and today we'll be talking about loving one another. So in 1 Peter, we've been learning how to live as strangers, how to live as exiles on the earth. And if you're spiritually sane, and if you're spiritually healthy, you're embracing more and more the reality that this earth in its present condition is not your home, not your ultimate home. So we're hearing unusual language in our country lately. It was just last Sunday, Mother's Day, and there was a congresswoman from Missouri who couldn't use the word mother. She wanted to be more inclusive, and she used the word birthing person. And that was another moment when I thought, you know, no, this is not my home. This isn't my home. But in reality, this has never been our home. Maybe the blessing of watching this sad rapid descent into moral chaos. Maybe the blessing of that is it's clarifying for us which kingdom we actually belong to. So understand this, America has been a blessing to all of us, but America was never synonymous with the church of the living God. America was never the kingdom of God. I think sometimes people get that confused. Who's, who's the people of God? That's us who are the followers of Jesus Christ. We even go to famous verses like 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name, who is that? I think some people through the years thought, well, that's America. (laughs) But no, no, the people of God, we are the people of God. Those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, first Israel, and because of our faith in Jesus grafted in, that's who his people are. And America has never been that bright city on a hill. Sometimes the politicians say, "We're we're the bright city on the hill. No, that's the church. Jesus said that to the believers in the Sermon on the Mount. So born again, men and women are the people of God. We belong to Jesus and our allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord and America will come and it will go, but the kingdom of God will remain. And let's just clarify, we belong to that kingdom, that eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now back to our context here in 1 Peter, how are we to live in a world where we are exiles? How are we to live in a world where this is not our true home? Well, we've been seeing that. First of all, we should embrace our status as exiles. Now, we're not pessimistic with that. Remember, Peter said, you are elect exiles. We have a special privilege here to be God's people on the earth. We see elsewhere in the New Testament, what should we do during this time on earth before our king comes again? We are ambassadors for Christ. So our goal as exiles here is not to retreat and hide until Jesus comes, but we have a mission from our king as ambassadors here for him with the gospel. We're to embrace our role as salt and light. Again, no retreat. We move out into this world with great news. And then we are seeing this in this part of 1 Peter. We're to live very different lives because we've been called to a very different life. Remember what we saw in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So how do I live as an exile here? Be holy. How about what we saw in verse 17? Conduct yourselves with fear. And we talked about that before. What fear, fear whom? Remember to fear God rather than fearing other people. And we saw last time we're to live with a deep, deep awe and unending appreciation for the price Jesus was willing to pay to redeem us to God. The precious blood of Jesus. Now we move into new verses here. Peter continues in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. 
Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So in our text for today, these verses 22 through 25, we have one command here in the grammar. And it's that command to love one another. And Peter gives us four qualifiers to that command here. First of all, notice we're to love one another fervently. Now, Peter has just said to us here, we're supposed to have a sincere brotherly love. That's that word Philadelphia in the Greek language. And then he says right after that, the very next word, he uses the word agapeo, which is that famous word we hear about a lot in church, biblical word of agape. It's the verb form of that. So we are to have a sincere brotherly love and we're to love one another earnestly. So in this exile where we feel like, hey, I'm not home yet. Home is going to be with the Lord forever. What am I to do? Well, I'm going to do even more than just hold together with God's people, but I'm actually to grow in and show a genuine love for other believers in Jesus Christ in my local church. So by God's grace as your pastor, I find this quite easy to love others in the church. It doesn't mean that everybody always acts lovable. I'm sure I don't always act lovable, but, but I find it maybe easier than anybody else in the church because I have the privilege of meeting almost all of you when you're joining the church. So before the pandemic, Route 33 classes, and sometimes even before that, having coffee with you over a table. During the pandemic, visiting with all of you who have been, who've joined. And so when I look out at you, you're not just a sea of faces. You're people that I know. And the more you're involved and you've been here, I, I've maybe known you even more. But, but I, I know you and I love you. And with many of you have walked through some joys and sorrows with you. And there's a bond in that when, when I have the privilege to come alongside you in a time of grief and heartache, even walking alongside of you in moments of struggle, even when you bring me in in a time of failure. And in a time of your failure, I don't love you less. There's a bond in that. There's a privilege in that to come alongside, to encourage you, to help you get up in a time like that. So, so there's this love that we're to have for each other. It happens when we know each other. And it gets deeper the more we know each other, even, even with the imperfections that we might learn about each other. And this is why we encourage you all the time, be a part of this church, join the church, be known in the church. And also as a part of that, be a part of one of our small groups. Whether our life groups or those other grow groups that we have, you, you need to be in there so that you can know people, be known, so that you can live out commands like this. We're to have a sincere, notice it, a sincere brotherly love for each other. And we are indeed to love each other, catch the word again, earnestly. That word in the original language carries the idea of intensity and even continually. In fact, I was even struck by this this week that, that I want to live this out even in my own home. Isn't it easy sometimes just to kind of have love as a slogan? Like, oh, of course, I love, I love everybody. But that's very passive, isn't it? Oftentimes, it's just an emotion I sometimes have. And I'm reminded, no, I want to be very active in my love. I have a responsibility to be active in my love, even for my own family members, not passive, which is often the temptation, but also in the church, right? I don't want to just merely say, well, I love the church, but I want it to be something that's true, that I can say that this is true of me, that I earnestly, fervently love my brothers and sisters in the church. So, so the command here to love one another, we're to do it fervently. Notice the next qualifier here. 
love one another from a pure heart. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, catch this, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So Peter is continuing his teaching on holiness here. That we're to approach God with holiness and each other with holiness. So, so we might ask the question, why should I be holy? The easy answer is, and the right answer is, was because God said so. That is a command here. So we, we want to be holy because that's simply faithfulness to God. I can't say, well, I don't want to be holy. Then that's just saying I want to be disobedient, unfaithful to God. So as a child of God, why should I be holy? Because that's what faithfulness is to walk with him. But not only that, we want to be holy because we love God. I, I need him in my life. I need the closeness of walking with him. And haven't you discovered when you decide to walk in disobedience to him, you sense the distance between God. He's there, but you're resisting him. So I want to be holy because I want to be faithful. I, I want to be holy because I love him and I need his nearness in my life. But here's another reason why. I want to be holy so that I can love other people the way that I'm called to love other people. Look again at verse 22, and I want you to catch this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, catch this, for a sincere brotherly love. I want to be holy, walking tight with Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, that I might love other people as I should. So it is possible, though, for people to have kind of a self-centered holiness, where a person focuses on what they think of as holiness, and they become less and less loving to other people. We see an example of this in the New Testament frequently with the Pharisees. They loved external rules. They would even make up new rules beyond the Bible to keep those rules. That's how much they love rules. Very external idea of holiness. But didn't Jesus constantly rebuke them because they had no mercy? They had no compassion. They had no love for others. And so we don't want to be that. But there is a type of holiness we could pursue external rules where we begin to see ourselves as superior to everybody else. Look at me. I'm walking it better than other people. And we can begin to be prideful. We can become judgmental people rather than having a heart of mercy and grace. Even as we pursue God and holiness, we can become prideful and separate ourselves. By the way, the same thing can happen when we seek purity of doctrine. And we should seek purity of doctrine. But a person can, the, the subtle temptation to pride. That here, look at me, I've got a tight theological system. I feel really great about it. And if I'm not careful, that pride will keep me from loving other people as I ought to. So our holiness is not an external checklist that we're after here. Notice the wording here. We are called to a deep, thorough, internal purity. The words here are very striking. Having purified your souls. That's deep down. And he speaks about a love from a pure heart. And so we desire to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we are now finding holiness in our very hearts and souls, meaning our motivations are becoming holy. Our affections are increasingly holy and pleasing to the Lord. Our attitudes are holy and pleasing to the Lord. And yes, our behaviors. So here's what we want to see here. We are called to be holy and to love one another. Have you ever met people who pit those two against each other? Like if you do try to be holy, then you can't be loving to others. So just don't worry about holiness. Just love other people. Listen, we're not forced to choose between holiness and love. 
So years ago now on our college campus, Joy and I both remember this speaker that came. Tony Campolo was a speaker at our campus and he preached a sermon. He was a pastor and I think a sociologist at the same time, more theologically liberal, but he was preaching and we were listening to him preach. And I was tracking with him for the first part of the sermon because he was talking about poverty and how sad poverty is and all that. And, and that, that resonates. He was giving sad statistics about poverty in the world and telling heart rending stories about poverty. I was with him. But then for emphasis, as a gimmick, he then threw a cuss word into his sermon. And, and in his sermon, with his cuss word, now he's been talking about poverty, then he says this. And some of you are more bothered that I said the word blank than the poor people we were talking about. Well, for a moment, as an 18, 19-year-old boy, for a moment I thought, ah, he got me. He got me. He's right. I was, he was talking about all the poverty. I was totally lost sight of all the poverty because of the bad word he said in his sermon. He got me. But then I thought, wait a second. He's the one that distracted me from the poverty he was talking about. I was already with him. He's the one that brought up the bad word that, that was inappropriate in this message. Then I thought, he's forcing a false dichotomy. Like I've got to choose between holiness and compassion. That's craziness. Our God doesn't choose between holiness and compassion. Our God is holy, holy, holy. And he is full of mercy and he's full of grace. He's full of compassion. What a, what a crazy false choice. And so we're called in the scriptures to truth. We're called to purity and we're called to love at the same time. So we're not seeking a self-righteous holiness. We're seeking a Christ-like holiness. Jesus was not soft on sin, was he? He rebuked sin, merciful to the repentant, but he would rebuke sin. He came to die for sin, so he maintained holiness and love for others quite perfectly, and he's the one we want to imitate. So see with me also that true holiness and love actually connect. Have you noticed that sin in your life actually interferes with your ability to love other people? You think, no, I, I mean, I don't want to choose. I'm just going to love people, not worry about holiness. You can't love people well. If you are harboring sin in your life, sin is incompatible with love. We truly only love well when we're coming from, by God's grace, a pure heart. How does that work? Well, our sinful flesh, when we're yielding to our sinful tendencies, it's the opposite of love in our life. The scripture calls out things like this from our flesh, anger and strife and division, selfishness. How is that compatible with loving other people like we ought to? Even lust. Lust seeks to take from somebody else. True love seeks to give to other people. So holiness is essential in loving others. So what is holiness? It's rejecting all sin from our lives. Holiness, if you think about it, is declaring war with your own sinful nature. I will not yield to me and my, my bad drives and my bad inclinations. I, I won't let that win. I fully surrender instead to my Savior. I want the Holy Spirit to reign in my life. And when we yield fully to the Holy Spirit, he produces his fruit. In Galatians 5, we learn about that. Right out of the gate, we're told the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But notice here, we're told to purify ourselves. How, how in the world can you purify yourselves? Well, here we're told... We're talking about obedience to the truth, obedience to the gospel. So obviously, first, you want to be pure in heart, you must be saved. You must come to Jesus. You must be obedient 
to the gospel. How am I obedient to the gospel? That almost sounds like it's counter to grace. No, no, what's the gospel message? Jesus died for you. You must, you must repent and believe in Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus, it is glorious. He makes you holy. You become a saint. That, that, that biblical understanding. You are righteous in the sight of God. But by our context here, Peter seems to be speaking about even something past the moment you believed. But now what do you do as you live this out? You want to be obedient, obedient to the truth. Carrying out this idea of, of holiness. He's made me holy. I want to walk in this holiness that he has made true in my life. James spoke the same way. In James 4, 7 and following. Listen to this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, here it is. James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So like the command to be holy, like God is holy, Peter says, here's a command, purify your hearts. And he speaks about obedience here. So this is how we walk in holiness. When we say, Lord, I need your help. I want to walk in obedience to you. Remember what we saw in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So you can't walk in holiness if you're not seeking to walk in full obedience. But here is a right question. But we're all imperfect. How do we walk with purity? How do we purify ourselves? We're all so imperfect. We do have this inclination to sin. What do we do? Listen, what we do is we repent. And we repent a lot. Where we run to Jesus over and over and over again for his cleansing. Confessing our failures. Confessing our sin that he might cleanse us and restore us anew. So here's just a reminder for us that you and I should repent of private sins in our lives. Has the Lord brought anything to mind where you know that I know this isn't holiness. I know this is contrary to what my loving father would have for me. Listen, repent of that. Even if nobody else knows about it, repent of thinking about yourself first. Repent of putting your preferences above other people's preferences. Repent of bitterness in your heart. Repent of envy of other people. Repent of greed, laziness, repent of dishonesty, failure to be a person who follows through on things that you might love other people like we're called to love. Hear it again, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So love one another fervently. Love one another from a pure heart. And now love one another because you have been born again. Verse 23. Here it is. Since you have been born again. So we're to walk in purity because we've been born again. And we're to walk in love for others fervently because we've been born again. Let's remind ourselves that loving other believers in a local church like ours, this is a family trait in God's family. First Peter 1, 3, he spoke about being born again as well. See how this is the father's doing. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So our father has caused us to be born again. When you and I were physically born, we were born outside of the family of God. We were born in sin and alienation. But in great mercy, our heavenly father came for us. 
And he has caused us to be born again now into his family. And now we're to love like he loves. And we're to be holy like he's holy. And we're to be merciful like he's merciful. So this is a trait, this love of others, it's a trait that you have met Jesus. And if you find love for the brothers and sisters not in you, that should be a danger sign in your life. It should cause you to evaluate your salvation. And very helpful here is the book of 1 John. Let me give you just a sampling of the connection between loving others and being genuinely Christian. These are striking. So just, just four of these examples. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then this one, 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Oh, this is a family trait. A beautiful example of this I saw this week, an email came in from those who work in South Asia about this love in a local church in South Asia where COVID-19 is still ravaging them. Don't you love how things are easing up here, but not true in some parts of the world. But listen to the, listen to the love of a local church here. The pastor's wife of a local church came down with COVID-19 symptoms. She isolated in one room of her home for two weeks while her husband juggled church needs, three children, and another full-time job. Another leader in that church later fell sick with COVID and had to isolate, but then found out his two children also tested positive. Now, I want you to hear this. Everyone in the church has a family member or friend who has tested positive. The church members are pooling their money to buy two refillable cylinders of medical grade oxygen for those in need. Pray for this church as it struggles to both help its own members who are ill and to reach out to those in the community during this time. Pray that the South Asian church will toil in the energy that supplies and that powerfully works in them. Although what a beautiful expression of love. People are sick with COVID and people are dying around them. Hey, let's pool our money. Let's, let's have oxygen for our people and maybe some that we can help other people with. Isn't that an example of a sincere brotherly love? Isn't that example of fervently loving one another? How beautiful what we see in just that one South Asian church there. So understand with me that love is not optional. You can't think, well, I'm, I'm more of a heady person. I'm not really all into that whole emotion thing. No, we're called to truth. We're called to holiness. And we must have love or something's off. Listen, if you don't have love, it's very possible you have not been born again. That's what John kept saying over and over again. If you don't have love for other Christians, we certainly can say this. You can't see yourself as holy. You can't say, here's all the list of rules that I keep where you're missing out on some big ones. Because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're failing at that, you can't call yourself holy no matter what other things that you do. So maybe reread today, 1 Corinthians 13, about what love is in the life of a church. 
Maybe reread 1 John where John just keeps bringing it on that topic. Maybe reread Galatians 5 and see what the fruit of the Spirit is. If you are really full of the Spirit, this will be coming from you. So let's love others earnestly. Let's do it even practically. But here's the final word here. Let's love one another because of the Word of God. Love one another because of the Word of God. Notice verse 23 and following. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we've been born again because Jesus shed his blood for us, that precious blood we talked about last time. But we've been born again through the enduring and eternal word of God. It's in this word of God that the gospel is contained. In fact, the gospel is the theme of the entire Bible as it all points to Jesus. So Peter here brings up the greatness of God's word as a motivation, another motivation for our love of others. That we came to know Jesus through the proclamation of God's eternal word. That we learn the gospel through these magnificent scriptures. And just notice how he describes them. We'll do this real quickly. Just meditate on these words that Peter gives about the scriptures. He says, these are the words of the Lord. That's what we have. The word of God is living and abiding. And I love this, remains forever. The word of God remains forever. So if you truly want to be on the right side of history on any issue of our day or any day, then make sure all your views line up with the scriptures. Because, because this culture is passing away. Some of the cultural bullies who demand you come with them away from the word of God, they will perish. But the word of God is going to endure forever. So don't be intimidated. Don't be conformed to those who are apart from Christ. Don't be conformed to their threats. Look at it again, verse 24. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So just consider with me again, what a precious treasure you and I have in the Bible. Maintain with confidence and joy your biblical worldview in these days, even as an exile on the earth. And these words, the precious word of God, this eternal word of God tells you that you must love other people. Listen, don't fall for any alternatives to loving others. Not maintaining a heart of purity would render you incapable of loving others. Don't love only in word. The scripture says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's make sure we're living it out. Listen, another way of not loving is not being committed to the fellowship of a church. Make sure that you take the stars and say, I, I will be in a church. I will join a church and I'll be faithful to that church. It would be very difficult to convince anybody that you love them earnestly if you're not faithful to be around them consistently. There should be two, two calendar events that should be first that you put there, that you should build everything around. First of all, I need to meet with God daily. That will be my number one appointment every day of my life. I'm going to meet with God. But then the second one on your calendar that you build everything around, your family life and everything is, then, then I must meet with God's people. I must be there when the people of God gather for worship. And so we want to be committed to the fellowship. So it's one of the practical ways we show love, but also let's continue to preserve biblical unity together. It's been a tough year, hasn't it? The politics, 
the pandemic and all that. But listen, by God's grace, we have held together. We haven't let the secondary things split us apart. We love Jesus together. We have confidence in the scriptures together. We're committed to the Great Commission together. Listen, that's the way we love one another. Not going to let the secondary things or third things separate us. Let's love one another fervently. Let's be committed to a sincere brotherly love by maintaining a biblical unity. But then he closes here. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That good news is the gospel. Let's remind ourselves of it. In fact, there's a perfect opportunity to invite you into the family of God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. God created you. And God created you for fellowship with him. But our problem is our sin. All of us have sinned and turned away from God. And we can't save ourselves from our sin. And so God, who is great in mercy and compassion, gave his son. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and gave his blood on a cross in payment for your sins. And he was raised from the dead. And here's the offer. If you'll turn from the life you've been living and you pivot to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. If you'll call upon the name of the Lord, he will indeed save you. And he'll give you a new life, a new purpose on this earth. He'll bring you into a family like this where you can love others. And, and our commitment to you is as you put your faith in Jesus and as you join here with God's help, we're going to love you in return in light of what we've been told here. Let's pray to the Lord together.